Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's 2 p.m., a little after 2, Wednesday afternoon. You're watching Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're going to be speaking with Cecilia Silverston, the founder and president at uh, Nana Secret. But first, we're going to get into a little bit of cannabis news. So please welcome our guest, Tom, from CannabisIndustryLawyer.com, and John from The Talking Hedge. What's going on, guys? Oh, man, it was a pretty large week in hemp news. And I actually just got a phone call from uh, one of the clients the other a few hours ago that says that uh, Illinois might actually be testing for total THC in its hemp crop. That's 18,000 square feet of hemp space that's out there, all of which may be hot. And Josh, why don't you explain to the people who you are and why you can give a good answer as, as to what that would do to the hemp market? My name is Josh Kincaid. I'm the producer of The Talking Hedge. It's a cannabis business podcast. Uh, five years ago, previous to entering the cannabis space, I worked at an investment bank. I was a bank manager previous to that for half a decade. So I've seen the online proliferation of cannabis stocks. I've had boots on the ground doing a lot of product and customer validation and a report on the news every single day, uh, including hemp and cannabis uh, we've had a lot of news in Washington State as well. Just this last week, there was a ban on all uh, CBD edibles and, and beverages. So we're uh, five years into it, but still trying to fight for what everyone else in the emerging markets is going after. I can't believe that. I mean, you are five years into this. Hemp is legal. This drink is made from legal hemp. And that was some of the big news that came out of the DEA this week. I'm just going to go ahead and share my screen. DEA announced steps necessary to improve access to marijuana research. And this link, of course, is in the description page of this video. Uh, but not only that, the DEA went on to down here, really make sure that they drew the distinction between um, the distinction between hemp, which is now not regulated by the DEA and marijuana, which is just THC with Delta 9 THC levels uh, uh, greater than 0.3 percent. But what would 18,000 square, uh, no, it's 18,000 acres of hemp in the state of Illinois that was planted this season, 
What if it's all at risk of testing hot? What would that do to the spot price of biomass, do you think? I think there's already an overproduction, but anytime you take off 18,000 acres, it's definitely going to increase, at least for the Northeast or Midwest, whoever gets their product, uh, you know, the byproduct in that region is going to be paying a higher price because of transportation to come in and fill the void of what that 18,000 acres would have produced. Yeah, that's the supply chain issues are huge in the uh, emerging hemp and cannabis markets. But one of the things that I like to do is I go and I check the uh, the hemp reports here from the Panax Exchange. And I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with them, but they, they say that the, the price of biomass really is, if anything, it's gone up a little bit. It's now like four and a quarter. The last time I checked um, earlier in the year, it was maybe about 350 So, uh how do they do how do they do total THC in Washington state? Because when I met you like about a week ago at uh, Hemp Fest, I was interested to see how you guys label your cannabis. You label your cannabis with uh, Delta 9 THC levels, but also total THC levels. We don't do it like that in Illinois. We label ours individually in the acid or also the Delta 9 formats of the, uh, the cannabinoid. Right. The, uh, the requirements are pretty minimal. I think a lot of what you're seeing is the addition of what people are adding, uh, especially with terpenes. It's just to try to sell more. All right. So they're able to see from the data that the more information you have, the better decisions that these customers are able to make. And so having CBD and terpene profiles and percentages are definitely increasing those sales. So people are putting more information on there. But THC is really the only minimum you need on there. It's, it's pretty sad, actually. Oh, man, that stinks. But that is we're going to have uh, a doctor on in a few weeks or maybe two months to talk about the, the different types of terpenes and how that can add or subtract to the uh, effects of the Delta 9 THC or the uh, the CBD. And I thought it was just very, very interesting. You know, tuning turning back to this is an emerging market and it really has never existed before. Uh, the the USDA, and this is just from yesterday, they sent out this press release that says they have this crop insurance coverage available for 2020 coming online, which, you know, this is great. And uh, that press release will also be linked into the description. But you have to understand if if the Illinois crop is all hot, because like here's something that a lot of people don't get with hemp. Um, the total THC is not what you're supposed to look at. You're supposed to look at the Delta 9 THC because that's what it says in the farm bill. That's what it says in the state of Illinois uh, uh, statute and all the other statutes. And then if the farm bill says it and so it's the supreme law of the land that it's only Delta 9 THC at that 0.3 percent. And your can I'm, it is cannabis, of course, but it's hemp because it's going to be a total T. I'm sorry, a Delta 9 THC level of 0.3 percent or lower. But you might have a THC a level of 0.5 percent. And so if you add those together and of course, with like adding them together, you don't just add the 0.5 of the THC a plus the 0.3 of the, the Delta 9 THC because the THC a is a little heavier. You know, you have to take that acid off. And so it wouldn't quite be, you know, a one to one, but it might be, you know, 0.7% total THC once they have uh, done that equation. And that's not what it says. So I think that we were really going to need to see some type of revision to this 0.3% Delta 9 THC level. And I think we will. Uh, I think the U.S. or excuse me, the um, 
Oh, shoot. Cure Leaf just uh, started making claims, right? So the FDA came in, they said no more claims. And then Washington State came on the heels of that and said no CBD at all. What? Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, you look at California as a leader for not just the environment, but, you know, um, utilities or cars or cannabis. Washington State's just kind of following suit of what California did last year, banning CBD uh, infused drinks and edibles. And so I think uh, the USDA stepping in and saying, you know, we want to regulate this as an agricultural crop. It's going to have to be rewritten all of it because the West Coast just isn't able to sell it. And that's the biggest market right now. And so I think that there's movement in place. And with the Safe Harbor Act, that those insurance claims are critical. It's key, especially in floodplain states, uh, to have crop loss insurance. So they need to write that, implement it. And if nothing else, have the States Act. Kick the can down the road. Let the states implement it. Washington yeah, and Oregon. I, I, I think the States Act is unconstitutional. I've done stuff on that, you know, just because I think it violates the equal protection. But I do support the uh, complete defunding of uh, the war on cannabis. So like the state's laws, if the, if the state is regulating it, defund the Department of Justice from enforcing the federal law. Uh, because then that means the state's, you know, sitting there and filling the void. It's effectively the state's act, except it doesn't have the affirmative uh, validation that the state's act would. It just has the budgetary effect of it. So you can control it a little bit more without worrying about drawing some type of constitutional challenge. And then I support the Safe Banking Act. I think that's really going to be huge. If you get the Safe Banking Act passed, the most is like, Unlike this, the States Act, the Safe Banking Act actually made it out of committee and is going to get some floor time uh, this this fall here. And so, like, uh, we're going to do some shows that are really going to concentrate on the, uh, the the lobby days that normal does to really help push uh, for the States Act to be included, hopefully in the omnibus budget, because the, the federal budget is going to end here in about one month on September 30th. But yeah, I mean, if we can get the, the, the Safe Banking Act, think about how the eastern seaboard would blow up and the supply chain could continue to blow up because now they can access finance and capital. It's probably one of the biggest uh, game changers out there. Once you can automate, you can get financing and you can do banking. Uh, it's a game changer. The automation uh, potential for pre-rolls where you have Organogram in Canada making 40000 a day. Uh, imagine if they were doing that with blunts in California, the market would change overnight. So once these machines come online, it's a domino effect because if you can't manufacture and sell a pre-roll at 50 cents and make a profit, guess what? You're either white labeling or you're going to find another product to manufacture. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think is really going to start happening now, because I don't think the market's ready for descheduling of the Controlled Substances Act until we have this type of supply chain maturation process, where then once the uh, the, the, the the plant has been completely removed from this uh, drug scheduling, then the industry is already ready to uh, mature to the next level. But let's talk about uh, what they did in Washington state. And this is kind of like the gap that's there right now with the FDA not having any guidance when it comes to CBD products. What happened in Washington state when it regards to putting CBD products in like food, for example? So right after Hemp Fest on that Monday, uh, we saw canopy growth uh, spend you know a couple billion dollars on some hemp company and then on tuesday uh, i think that was the 19th it was last week uh basically washington said there's a ban all out on cbd infused beverages and edibles so completely turning the market upside down uh and so there's a, a revision they want to do a cannabis 2.0 
where they're trying to fix this seed to sale software tracking that we haven't had since October of 2017. And we need that data. It's by law, they're supposed to be providing that data to us. And we just don't have any of that. Uh, so they want to create a social equity program. Uh, they want to implement um, uh, the ability for, for small businesses and medical access, uh, but they want to create you know that new seed to sale software tracking component, uh, as well as following Oregon's lead with interstate commerce. So I wanted to ask you to kind of unpack the un unconstitutionality behind what Oregon did in the state as well as in the house in dc which was to implement a bill to allow for the interstate travel uh, of what is a schedule one and so if washington also does that and we have an i-5 corridor up the west coast um you you mentioned it's yeah. unconstitutional well so that has to do with the states act being unconstitutional because then it would have it is going to respect every law of the state so that if the the state that is in um indiana for example it's right idaho would be adjacent to you it's it's draconian relative to the state of washington the state of oregon uh, indiana is draconian relative to the state of illinois so if every state's marijuana laws are then the the law of the land at the federal level, you have a hodgepodge of laws federally, which means that you're treating a, a, some, uh, under federal law uh, somebody in Indiana differently than you're treating somebody in Illinois. So that that, I think, violates the 14th Amendment. Whereas if you do the Robacher uh, McClintock Amendment now, which was the Robacher Blumenauer Amendment, where they just defund the Department of Justice enforceability through their appropriations actions. So you say, like, well, look, we don't want to create this constitutional conundrum, but we also don't want the DOJ and the DEA kicking down people's doors so that we just defund all state law compliant uh, you know, medical or adult use cannabis. So if you're in California and you're following the state's cannabis laws, sorry, there's no money to enforce the federal cannabis laws in your jurisdiction. That I don't think you draw the constitutional challenge, but also, I mean, it still doesn't get at the access to the banking. So the Safe Banking Act being passed is it's as important. It's, it's at least, I mean, you know, because then you're going to have it's all about developing that infrastructure where you have this very young black market underground uh, industry that needs to have the same type of supply chain management that any other complex uh, agricultural commodity uh, business would, you know. Ah, add him back. The lowest rate, the, the separation <laughs> processors has created this super competitive market. And then now you throw this, this uh, inability to sell and diversify CBD products has thrown a wrench in a lot of businesses like Nana's Secret, who spent you know some time trying to transition from medical to the regulated market and then pivoted to CBD and then timing. You know, this, this industry yeah. is volatile and you it's get very slammed. volatile. Yeah, uh, you get slammed with the inability to sell. I mean, how do you pivot? That's that's a game changer. That's a it's a tough yeah. thing to do as a small business. And this is her site. I remember this tent at uh, at Hempfest when I met you. I remember that tent being there because it was very colorful. But let's 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 welcome her. Let's welcome her to the show. Well, okay. Cecilia, how are you? Happy you stopped at Hempfest and check yeah. out what we're doing. And like Josh was talking about, it's extremely disturbing that the state has come in at the last minute, actually two days before we bottled Nana's Secret CBD soda with a letter saying 
that I can't put my medicine in my beverages. This was a product that I developed in medical 19, excuse me, 2013, so that I would have medicine to control my epilepsy that would not damage my kidneys and liver. And now they're, that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying cannot do this. Uh, I agree, it, this must be unconstitutional. We should be allowed medicine that God has given us to grow from a seed and put in our bodies, whether it be through smoking it, putting it in our food products, our beverages, whatever. We should be legally allowed to do that. This is not a type of drug that causes side effects that shortens our life, like the prescription drugs I've taken for 48 years. Yeah, and this is Washington State, right? This is not, this isn't Idaho. This is Washington State. Mm -hmm. Correct. You guys have had legal cannabis for over a decade, and CBD products are being taken down from shelves. Why? What's their, what, what's, why are they saying they're being taken down? I would like to speak to that. I believe they're being taken down because currently, the Washington State Liquor Control Board, Liquor and Cannabis Board, currently charge excessive amounts of taxes on the THC products. And as soon as Big Pharma started developing CBD products and Washington State saw how much money they could make in taxes by doing the same thing to, to CBD market, they put a hold on any kind of products that we could make in the industry because they see what we're doing. They're not stupid people. They understand that the products that we're making is going to keep people alive much longer than the pharmaceutical drugs that we are currently being prescribed. So you think that, oh. that the Washington state would have a profit motive incentive to collect additional taxes because hemp and its derivative of CBD is not being taxed in the same method as cannabis and its derivative Delta 9 THC? I do believe that. They are already charging excessive amounts of taxes for the THC, which is coming from the same plant. And they're stepping back going, oh, well, the people who are manufacturing CBD from this plant have a much better product. It's not just for people to use occasionally like a glass of wine. This is a product that I need twice a day, every day, just to stay alive. So the profit margin is much larger. The taxes are 37% in Washington, and it doesn't include hemp or CBD. So the I-502 bill that passed regulating adult use cannabis did not include CBD, and it doesn't even allow the Liquor and Cannabis Board, the state's regulatory authority, to even regulate CBD. Uh, so there was a state bill, uh, I believe, that banned it. Um, and I, I, I'm with Cecilia. I totally agree that it's about finance. This is about money. It's not about saving the children from CBD or the snake oil CBDs. This is about money. Yeah, that's that, that's uh, something else. But like I thought maybe what they were doing was simply because the FDA has not yet spoken or addressed regarding the regulations, because those are forthcoming this fall. And like we did, the USDA had the press release uh, about crop insurance being available next year. And Mitch McConnell and the the 
the Congress was very direct in the sense that they want CBD products available for the people. So it's going to be interesting to see how the FDA decides to treat this product. And that is one of those things where it gets into Deshay. Have you ever heard of the Deshay law from 1994 about how, okay, it has to do with like uh, herbal supplements. And like if something existed in the food supply prior to 1994, you didn't need to have uh, a, what they call a new dietary ingredient uh, label for uh, this ingredient. However, they are making the assertion that uh, CBD extract didn't exist in the food supply prior to 1994, which is absurd. And it's so absurd because the tincture of cannabis indica has been in pharmacopoeia until they took it out in 1937. And it wasn't like, uh, because, okay, and then was isolated in 1940. So they were finding out in real time after they had you know, prohibited marijuana in 1937, the chemists found out about cannibal diol in 1940, and it was finally taken out of the pharmacopoeia in 1942. And now they're making the assertion, uh, the, if the F, we, we have to see how the FDA comes down on their uh, rules and their regs, but if they're making the assertion that this is a new dietary ingredient, which we've known for thousands of years, and we've been consuming as tinctures and as hashish, and then we eventually bred the plant so that it would have a lot more of the, the THC simply because that was the psychoactive form. It's, it's, it's not like it didn't exist in the food supply in, before 1994. That's just preposterous. Right. My CBD correspondent went out immediately to Walgreens and Rite Aid and, and the local Bartels and Fred Meyer or Kroger and looked at what was happening. And some of the products were being taken off the shelf until those packaging were being replaced by Cureleaf's uh, claims and the FDA showing their cards. However, they didn't have their banks shut down. They didn't have to pull the products off the shelf. They didn't have to ban CBD. They just had to stop making claims. But Washington went above and beyond following California and just banning it outright. So you have to kind of wonder who's in charge to make that financial decision. Uh, who benefits from that? Um, you don't see, you know, out in the malls where cinna cinnamon buns with, you know, twice the caloric intake and twice the daily fat intake, you don't see them going in there and stopping that, you know, for the kids, uh, obesity sake. So really, I mean, it's, it's, this is about money. This is a pause or, or uh, a halt until they can figure it out. I don't know who's behind it, but it's unfortunate because, I mean, when you launch your brand at Impest and then one business day later, they say you can't have the CBD beverage. That is unfortunate. That is a, a huge it, it's, it's, it, well, Yeah, yeah. That is something along the lines of, you know, there's political risk in business, but that was just you don't even see it coming. You invest all this time. You invest all this money. Let's uh, let's ask Cecilia how long. She, Cecilia, how long had you been working on Nana's Secret to make your product? I started making Nana's Secret sodas in April 2013. I came out with 10 different flavors soda. I have one of the largest soda manufacturers here in Washington that's working with me. And when they told me I could not produce my sodas with my medicine, I had to stop and think about that really quick if I was going to move forward and how I was going to do so, I have already made plans to put the CBD into a packet similar to a sugar packet and shrink wrap that to the outside of the bottles. Therefore, I would not be breaking any Washington state rules. Wait, and you're telling me that if you put the CBD in the soda, no, but if you put the CBD in a, like a, like a sugar packet and tape it to the soda and sell it to them that way, that's okay. 
We're not going to be taping it. We're going to be shrink wrapping. So it's actually one product. It's just not inside the food beverage. And I'm working with Uncle Ike to get these on the shelf this week. And he didn't seem to have a problem with that whatsoever. So I guess we're going to find out. That's something else. I, I just can't believe that uh, that's how you get around the law. Like, all you have to do is not mix the two together and just say like, no, this is our, I'm not sure if it's CBD isolate or a whole, uh, you know, uh, whatever they call it, the whole, it's not the whole leaf extract, but it's like, you know, the broad spectrum extract of the, the cannabis plant itself. However, that's just, that's just bazonkers, I believe is the appropriate word for that. I mean, there's so many instances in the hemp and also the cannabis, it's all cannabis laws of these types of perplexing things. And it's not, it just, I mean, I, this is the most egregious example of the rug being pulled out unfairly out of any hemp business. But the uh, it, it, some of the hemp businesses in Illinois, uh, they have a hard time finding banks, and then they 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 bought all this seed, they farmed, and now it, it, to have the state saying like we're going to be testing for total THC as opposed to testing for delta nine THC, that could just eviscerate the crop that could make uh, somebody's i mean like and that these are people losing their life savings then because they've plowed hundreds of thousands of dollars into starting this new uh, agricultural industry in the state of illinois called hemp cbd being its largest component probably 75 percent of those eighteen thousand acres were planted for cbd hemp flour and the CBD hemp flower, when grown correctly, will come in exceedingly light at delta nine tetrahydrocannabidiol. I'm sorry, cannabidiol. Cannabidiol is different. Cannabidiol because of its genetics, but it may still contain 0.3 to 0.6, maybe even 0.7 percent THCA, which they said that they're not supposed to test for. You're supposed to use a high pressure liquid chromatography. So I mean, it's uh, that could be uh, that could be just cataclysmic we'll have to wait and see what happens to the price of hemp on the spot price of biomass on this but uh, uh, uh cecilia do you have any uh, friends in government that you can lobby to uh it appears that's what i'm going to have to do i would like to speak to your issue with the how much cbd and thc is in these plants because I don't think people understand from a medical patient's perspective, we don't get high on the THC and it doesn't really matter to me how much percentage of THC, as long as I get the CBD amount that I need to control my seizures. This, the THC that's combined with the CBD, all it does is basically activate the CBD to control the electrical currents that are not working correctly in our brain. I, I cannot for the life of me understand why anybody, whether it's in government or in the business, can't understand we need this medicine. And instead of putting up obstacles in front of us about laws that people don't really understand how the medicine works, they're just shooting themselves in the foot because every one of them at some point in their life, they're going to get old and they're going to be sick and they're going to need this medicine or else they're going to have side effects and shorter lifetime because they don't have it. 
Yeah, that's but again, I, I say this all the time when I'm talking to people and a lot of people do not understand the plant. And so I'll like explain it like, well, what, why did they make this Delta nine level? And well, why did they call it marijuana? Well, why do they do all these things? Because they're regulating something that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And the, the amount of regulations that we have and the amount of conflicting regulations and confusion and the growing pains that we have in this new industry, which for the past 80 years has just been silenced for no real good reason, uh, except for racism, which is, again, no real good reason. Uh, it, it just boggles the mind. And I always kind of equate it like, you know, these these guys that are, are legislating this have the same amount of uh, you know personal experience and knowledge as uh, that entire tribunal called Congress that's legislating a women's right to choose. You know, and they don't have uteruses. They don't know what they're talking about. But yet they're the ones making the rules. It makes no sense. We'll be going down to Olympia for lobby days again, uh, late January uh, for the first session. So I have no doubt that Cecilia will be down there with us to try and prevent some of the crazy stuff that's been happening. October last year, for example, it's not the first time we've been blindsided when the Liquor and Cannabis Board tried to implement a rule that would have affected 70% of the edibles market by changing the color of the edible and packaging. They literally wanted to change the color because they thought it would be attractive to children as well as the shapes the shapes of the edibles were specific because apparently that's going to be uh, attractive to children. And this comes from the same re regulator that has pink bubblegum vodka. Yeah. So there's yeah. pink bubblegum vodka. But yet when you're dealing with something safer than that vodka and not directed to children with the pink bubblegum, then they don't they don't mention it whatsoever. You can't even get into the store unless you're 21, but you can go to the grocery store and take a look at that vodka all day long on the end shelf, literally at Fred Meyer, right next to the children's stuff. Yeah, it's, the whipped cream flavored vodka. No, it's crazy. no marketing to children. But yesterday, this is extremely important. There are small children who don't want to take their medicine. They don't like the way their food tastes, whatever. I don't like taking pills because I've been forced to take them my whole life. So this is really just a simple marketing strategy. Those children should be taught that there are gummies of any shape, whether they be an animal shape or a square, whatever. But it's an alternative for these children who need this medicine to stay alive, not just to make a dollar. That's right. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it isn't just to make a dollar, but then it seems like the more you dig into the whole thing, it's really about just making a dollar, which is terrible. But there's no social equity component to the Washington state law, right? Am I, am I wrong on that? You're not, but they just put in that same press release that they want a social equity program built into what they're calling Cannabis 2.0. Oh, Cannabis 2.0. It's just like the Internet in 2004. Great. Can't wait for that slow speed dial up. You know, this Pichu dish experiment in Washington state, unfortunately, is being copied out in Massachusetts where they're going to have limited capital investment, which is going to stunt small business growth, which is going to hinder uh, capital and scaling and just product availability. And so the relevancy, I think, to Illinois is look at what we're doing and just take a look at what worst case scenario is. You think a million dollars is going to be enough for you to open your business? It's not. I've huh. seen people that can't even produce a single gram. So look at this as an example of the volatility and worst case scenario and try not to implement it. Uh, I'm talking to you, Massachusetts.
Well, you know, we'll have to get somebody from Massachusetts on, but I was reviewing uh, for a global thing that I'll be doing for the ABA in October, you know, a, a review of the uh, the laws in particular states. And like Massachusetts is a lot more relaxed than the state of Illinois. And so if I was putting together applications and my um, consultants that I was using was from out in Massachusetts, I'd be like, I'm going to talk to somebody in Colorado. Yeah, they stole our limited capital. So they're really going to constrict the amount of investment that can go in there, uh, which was supposed to stop black market and and illegal funds, but really is just restricting uh, the amount of flexibility that companies can have. They can't have financing or banking, and now you can't have investment. I mean, really, it's trying to operate with two hands tied behind your back. Yep. And that's before we count into 200 IRC 280E. Cecilia, what did you say? I think the black market is a big part of the problem. They came into Washington State and tried to buy our 502 license. And it is my opinion that those same people are connected with some dirty attorneys and the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. Because my 502 license was shut down and I was actually locked out of my processing space. And that license is still being used. Is that is that how they do it in Washington state? There's a finite number of licenses and they can kind of kick out who has it and bring in who they want. Only if you yeah. violate a law. Hmm. Yes. Okay. So they were they were claiming that you were violating the law. What, what law were they claiming you were violating? What happened was there were some groups of men, three different groups, try to purchase my 502 recreational license and at the entire process. I've been represented by legal counsel, and today I have no 502 grow license because they shut it down. But they kept the processing license open and locked me out of my physical facility that was licensed to Nana's Secret. And they're still doing whatever they're doing. I, I don't even know what they're doing. I just know that I have walked into stores since they were shut down in February, and I have bought product that has my UBI number on it with their name. So there's some dirty stuff going on. I just don't know how to stop it. And I'm not going to stop until I find out. Yep. You know, that's one of the things that in the Illinois law that they really do in, in the first opening tenants, you know, the purpose of the law, they really talk about this whole fairness and social equity and how it's supposed to all be administered above board and by the rules and by the book. And it, you know, we're all going to be good people. Uh, and, and hopefully that's how it's actually orchestrated and people get their licenses that way and it all works. But it sounds like the the, the stuff that you guys are talking about and experiencing in Washington State um, erodes that confidence that I kind of have on it, you know? I'm not optimistic. I was a banker for a long time. The SBA does not give out um, minority loans very well. It's incredibly difficult. And then you look at the fine print and you have to be there five years and half a decade in this industry is a lifetime. There's no way that someone's going to stick around five years. And when businesses are flipping every 18 months, that's, and, a, that's and they're talking about. about like, that's 20% of your application score, 20% of your application score. So like, if you have a decent application and then you get that 20%, boom, I mean, who's going to compete with you? And so, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see who wins the first round of Illinois licenses. And I'll go through them. You, hopefully they'll publish them at least like they do. They publish a lot of the applications uh, with all the standard operating procedures, you know, all that secret sauce of, you know, oh, here's how we do our stuff. Well, don't tell anybody that. Yes, yes. Nobody will figure out how we 
keep track of all these accounting ledgers. Um, whatever, man, you know, you have to make sure that the consultants are paid for their work too. And they, they help with the operations and there's good operators out there, but, um, it just, how are they scored and what do these companies really stand for? And, uh, with Illinois reputation of being, um, less than, uh, not corrupt, I'm kind of wondering what is going to happen with the awards of the licenses. So when I'm like pouring through the people who win next spring, and gosh, you know, I hope that some of my clients get through and I tell them it looks like it's going to be, you know, nine to 10 spots. So like you got like a 90% failure rate, bud, but you still want to get in the industry. All right, cool. Let's make the best application for you. We have to address social equity. And if you don't, it's, it's going to be bad. Yeah, you need every advantage you can, right? So whether you can get that social equity applicant or whether you're looking for the best place to uh, to do business, you know, you could be headquartered in uh, in Illinois and have an IPO in, in Canada and operate out of Puerto Rico to take advantage of the tax benefits down there with Act 20. Um, I think that if you're going to stay in this business, learn to be flexible and learn to be blindsided. You know, when people are paying $40,000 for packaging and then the laws change the next day, you can yeah, either right. throw that away or slap a sticker on it. Yeah. And that's the weirdest thing in the sense that there's, they're giving out these social equity points and the people that are going to be getting those points aren't going to be well capitalized. And so are they just going to get totally railroaded and, and taken out that fast? So I don't know. It's, it's an exceedingly dynamic industry, though. That much I, I am aware of. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening here. People in the 502 business are being pushed out. I watched and watched and watched. But the key, I think, for me especially, is just to continue white labeling my products, continue bottling my sodas. And in states where I have to attach the medicine in a different package to that bottle, that's what I'm going to do. And if somebody comes along and tells me I can't do it that way, I will find another way. Are you able Pivot to stay relevant? Yeah. Are you able to uh, is this hemp derived CBD like, you know, legal in all 50 states pursuant to the farm bill? The hemp CBD that I'm using is coming from a Kentucky farm that is. Uh, involved in a pilot program with the Kentucky Department so, of Right. So it's totally legal. And so there's nothing to prevent you from selling these sodas online and shipping them out of uh, Washington State. You just can't put them on the shelves in Washington State. Uh, I'm putting them on the shelf in Washington State in Uncle Ike's glass store with the CBD attached separately for mm -hmm. his customers to mix at home or once they leave his store. Hmm. Interesting, because like I go to the grocery store in Chicago and they got CBD water. I go to the gas station, CBD water. So like, you could be selling these in Illinois. Uh, yes. no, I have no doubt in my mind about that. I can't believe that uh, it, this law is so new and strange and complicated and it makes no sense that what's totally legal in like Kentucky, Illinois, for just CBD water, uh, I mean, granted it's a soda, but still just hemp derived CBD infused liquid you can't do in Washington state. And it's only been that because hemp, I was just in Hempfest two weeks ago. I remember seeing your booth. It was, it was pink. It was right next to the symposium tent, you know, very eye catching, which is what you want in a booth. You want somebody like, look, and be like, oh, let's go talk to them. And uh, people were excited about the, 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 the soda as well. I just can't believe that the next day, Shut it down. That's 
crazy. It is. Man. Well, uh, what other types of developments have you been seeing in the general industry, Josh, uh, besides uh, Washington State and the crazy messed up world that is CBD hemp? Consolidation. Uh, there's companies that are merging. Uh, so we saw Forefront Venture move with, uh, merge with CanaX Capital. Uh, that went from a $50 million to a $500 million market cap based on that merger. Um, How are they setting so, that market cap, by the way? Are they setting that market cap by traditional, you know, here's here's our sales numbers. Here's where uh, these things are going. Let, let's look at our, you know, our statement of cash flows and then see how we're canceling debt and we're increasing revenues or how are they getting that $500 million number? That market cap is just based on uh, the amount of investment from from shareholders. So people seeing the the development and the merger and liking that synergy and then just buying that stock. And so the revenues, you know, of 50 million have generated a value of 500 million. That makes no sense. Based on future expectations. You're right, right. Uh, magic. Yeah, it's it's the dot And the other thing too is with the Ghost OG family here locally, they're getting farms for a dollar. Literally, like they're not they're not paying anything for tier one, tier two, or tier three. It's and it's totally legal. And they're they're getting these farms with an expectation of a five or six percent royalty. They know what they're doing. They're able to produce a phenomenal product. And these fourteen hundred farms, there's, there's licenses. About eight hundred of them are active, but they're willing to just walk away, you know, because they can't do anything with it. And so this Ghost OG family is able to actually take this this crop and make something that's worthy of of ingesting, smoking, whatever. Uh, and and that's what I'm seeing is giving licenses away for an expectation of maybe five or six percent. So you just wait, let's go over that uh, transaction again. You give the license away, but then you hold on to the cash flow of five to six percent. Yeah. So they'll just take a royalty, whatever they make. Uh, that license holder will get five or six percent non-voting rights. So they retain it's some ownership. shareholder. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's probably a lot less of a headache. And then the thing about cannabis is it sells itself. It's cannabis. Well, seven to eight cents a gram uh, we're going to see in November uh, as more farms get out the game. That's what I'm seeing fourth quarter every year is people selling out, you know, maybe a million grams at about 7.5 cents to get out. 7.5 cents a gram of cannabis. I thought a gram of cannabis, like if you're making it in, uh, if you're making that gram of cannabis in um, Canada, it's like four bucks a gram. If you're making that gram of cannabis down in Colombia, you can get it for like 50 cents. How are you getting seven cents a gram of cannabis out on the West Coast? Liquidation. They're not looking for a profit, but it is the highest uh, you know, uh, profit. If, if you look at the arbitrage aspect, the Seattle to New York is your best arbitrage. And it's people getting out the game. We've been here but half there a is no, There is no arbitrage between Seattle and New York simply because. Hype, oh, I see. We're talking about the black market, which doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. yeah there are no shipments from Seattle to New York. Clearly. No divergence. Yeah, There's no, no. Well, I mean, it, that's the problem. And then you have that culture from British Columbia and you know, the BC bud and the culture from the Mendocino County and like, you know, the, the, the Emerald Triangle in, in California, where those people have been growing on high quality cannabis outdoor. Uh, well, where they can outdoor uh, further south. I'm not sure if you can do it in BC. Maybe, you know, you tell me, man, you're, you're from the Pacific Northwest. And because of that high quality and then the low price point, 
you know, why am I going to try to get this regulated when I can just sell it out the back? And so it's been harder for them to, um, well, we do a lot more tracking of seed to sale here. We don't want our supply being diverted and uh, our proceeds of that being untaxed. So I'll, I'll tell you some information on Oregon, which has an excess of a billion joints, uh, six and a half years worth of oversupply. What I've heard now, this is this is kind of uh, insider information, but but still kind of rumor. Um, but credible. All right. What I've heard is that there was divergence in the organ market for the, the colas or the grade A bud. And they, they took the stems and stalks and, and the, the garbage and that replaced the weight for what was diverted out to the black market. And now they can't sell it. They can't make oil with it. And that's what the oversupply is in Oregon, which isn't really an oversupply. And I've heard this from multiple people who don't talk to one another. Uh, give me the same information. So what we're seeing and why you kind of have to infer on the data. Why isn't it selling? Uh, I go down there and they've got some great products. So why isn't, why do they have the oversupply and, and how many licenses are there too many? Okay. Well, maybe that's the reason. Yeah, that's that's going to be the Oklahoma problem. I mean, <laughs> when you don't control the supply like that, and then you have high quality stuff and everybody can have it. Uh, yeah. The price goes down substantially, but um, you know, that's 20. Columbia will do that big box. Like you mentioned, Columbia will be that big box uh, cannabis extractor with the, the agricultural facilities they have and the low uh, human labor costs. Mm -hmm. They will be extracting 55 gallons of oil at a price you cannot compete with. You know, and if you aren't doing business in Puerto Rico as a CBD company, you will not be in business in a couple of years um, because you don't have the margins to lose. And that's up at 20 percent swing. Uh, just yeah, doing but that, that, that basically means that the farmers are all going to go under. Um, so I don't know about that. We'll see. 90, I think 98% will, will go under. That's, that's, uh, ominous. Hey, Illinois farmers sitting on 18,000 acres that might be worthless. The news gets worse. You have to look for higher margin products, CBG, CBN, THCV, whatever those rare cannabinoids are, look yeah. for a higher margin. Yeah, you can look for those, but those get very, very difficult to make. And then you have the genetics and it's all really about selling the sizzle. Oh, hang on. I, I think Cecilia wants to chime in. Cecilia, what, what are you saying? You have avenues of income coming in from these products. It's going to be products across the country because we're going to have to become large enough that we can compete with the people who's coming in trying to push us out. Fortunately, I had family and friends I could go back to on watching my social business. And now I have people who have says to fund so I don't have to worry about if I can do my business or not but I do have to worry about the rules and regulations getting in front of us and how we're going to deal with those yeah I mean, it's, by, by making this prohibition as to having um, you know food and drink uh, with CBD hemp derived illegal in the state of Washington they've done no favors to the small business owner that's trying to make it patients who just want to stay alive. Right. Yeah, they they put roadblocks and barriers and every kind of blockade they can in the way, whether it's labeling or restrictions, uh, product 
limitations or just CBD banned outright, Washington State is probably one of the most difficult places to do business. And I know CPAs and attorneys and professionals that just recommend do not get in, involved in Washington State. It's just too difficult when you don't have the op option of being vertically integrated. That is from seed to sale, you lose control. You know, as a business owner, you have a fiduciary duty to give your shareholders and yourself the most return you, you can on your investment. And being separated creates too many problems. And so when you have those, those unfortunate regulatory events, not having full control is just proven to be a, a business nightmare. So you support the uh, complete vertical integration of the industry because in Florida, people were very upset that they couldn't get into the industry and the barriers to entry for the industry were obscene because you had to be fully vertically integrated. So if you didn't, if you weren't sitting on $20 million, which who's sitting on $20 million, you know, the, the, the super rich and that's it. Okay. Well, if you're super rich, you can now get into the cannabis industry. So how do you create a, a, a legislative rubric? And that's what they're really trying to do in Illinois, where you can make it uh, dispersed and have a lot of people have high quality jobs and decent incomes. And I, that's trying to thread the needle of controlling the supply. And I don't know if it can be done. Follow Colorado, give people the option. If you want to be a producer, great, or a processor, great, or a retail shop, great. Most of them will fail if they don't have all three. I think that you should just have that option. Yeah, they, they do allow that in Illinois, where you're allowed to own a dispensary, you're allowed to own a craft grow, you're allowed to own an infuser, which, you know, so you could make all the products. But it's just very, very small relative to the uh, large producers. So like, you know, the difference between 5,000 square feet flowering space and 210,000 square feet flowering space is substantial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if Cecilia had a little boutique, you know, in West Seattle, a trendy little neighborhood she lives in, and she were able to sell her apothecary products uh, when CBD was banned and she just pivoted to CBG or CBN uh, and, and just kept selling, that would give her the opportunity to do that. But in Washington state, she can't sell anything with THC and, and now CBD. Uh, so again, I think just restricting small business growth is kind of this repetitive thing we've been seeing in Washington state where the regulators just keep smashing us down like that whack-a-mole. Hmm. It's unconstitutional for them to prevent us from creating businesses to support ourselves, to feed ourselves, and to medicate ourselves. That is unconstitutional. It's one heck of an overreach of regulation, to be sure, especially once the federal government said explicitly uh, industrial hemp is no longer the Controlled Substances Act and is legal. And I'm assuming that industrial hemp is also legal in the state of Washington. And then suddenly, it's not like CBD, which we've known of for 80 years, uh, became unsafe in the interim. There's just no evidence of that. I, I would like to know their thesis behind the uh, legislation, legislative change that they made uh, not even two weeks ago after HempFest. You know, what law, how did it become effective and why? So would we. Oh, Really? That's that's ridiculous. I figured hey, I somebody would send a letter to my father. I will forward to you when I'm off the phone. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it came as a surprise. I don't think anybody really understands, uh, you know, the validity or you know the reasoning behind it. Uh, even that press release that came out was you know, days later. Uh, 
so we're all kind of left in the dark wondering. And so the there's a cannabis alliance, a lobbying group in Washington that I'm, I'm a member of. And so uh, I get those emails every day and it's urgent. You know, all these urgent subject matters trying to get. They only gave us eight days to respond uh, to, to one initiative. And so they're oh, and it was on a holiday weekend. How does that how does that satisfy due process? You were given notice, but there's no opportunity to be heard. Hey, uh, we're giving you notice that we're shutting down your entire business model. Have a good day. Yeah, it's like a Friday news dump, and they just kind of hope it goes away over the weekend. You know, I mean, it's those are potential lawsuits. All of it. It's it's just one nightmare after another. Yeah, but it's not like the small business owner has the financial wherewithal to be able to stomach a lawsuit while they're having an injunction against their cash flows. You know, the, the, the more ridiculous thing is it's like, wait, I can't sell it in my own state. All right. I can literally sell it in every other state, you know. Yeah, we just had somebody go to Texas. You know, one of our friends uh, that we both me and uh, Cecilia know uh, have a, a shampoo line and she just went to Texas, you know, and that's a very conservative state to say you're going from Seattle to, you know, Dallas, really, because you can't sell it here. That's crazy. I have a question, uh, a legal question, because I don't really know the answer, and I try to stay on this. But if my bottler here in Seattle bottled beverages with CBD in it, with an agreement that those products were not to be sold in Washington State, but are allowed in other states, can we do that? Uh, you see, the thing about contracts, and I want to preface this uh, by saying that not only is this not legal advice, I'm just mentioning this as news. Uh, OK, you can do anything. That's the cool thing about America. Uh, you may not be allowed to do it legally. You can still do it. Then they have to catch you. And then they have to stop you, unless it's the state of Washington. Then they just give you eight days and they shut your business down. But uh, the thing about why a lot of people just had they just go to the gold rush. They just they just planted those 18,000 acres of hemp in, in Illinois is because they can do it. And they, they have these dreams and they just they don't care. Uh, and so the thing about it is most contracts are performed. 95, 98% of them are performed. The ones that don't get performed, they go to litigation. And out of all that stuff that goes to litigation and you sue over, 99% of it gets settled. So the next time you're in a business and it's less than uh, above board and you're like, well, what's the ramifications? Here's the long and short of it. The ramifications is you can do it. You might get caught. If you get caught, you might get sued. If you get sued, you'll probably settle. Do you want to risk it? You know, that's your business judgment. I, as, as your counsel, I would I would say that. But again, this is just uh, behind the uh, the curtain kind of uh, inf information. That's that's not advice to uh, eschew your contractual duties. You have a good faith basis and, and, and uh, duty to perform under your obligations of a lawful contract, which, of course, this entire episode has been us discussing completely unlawful contracts, which are enforceable because it's crazy and it's cannabis. Preach. Yep. Correct. That's totally correct. Yeah. So do it, Cecilia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I continue to make Nana secret sodas yeah. until the day I die. There you go. Now, remember. That was educational purposes. I have, I am not giving legal advice. I'm just saying that's what happens in contracts. 
I also took one of Cecilia's uh, transdermal patches last year when I climbed the Space Needle. It's 55 stories. I'm I'm an old guy, right? I, I smoke blunts. It's my guilty pleasure. But her transdermal patch allowed me to climb that beast in 10 minutes. And there's no way I could have done it without it because I had some uh, intermittent pain as I'm running up and, I, and it would shoot up my spine. I'm like, whoa, that hurts. And then it would go away. Hmm. Just reminding me of how... Uh, good that the patch was working i was very grateful to have that so tell us about those uh, transdermal patches cecilia what do you put in those mm-hmm. the transdermal patch is made on the east coast fernandez secret it has 25 milligrams of cbd and i wear these every day they're a 12 hour time release so i wear one in the morning i wear one at night they help not only control my seizures but they are absolutely wonderful for anxiety. I had a really bad anxiety attack yesterday and I put one on and I don't believe anything works instantly, but it works really fast. So I was, I was happy about that. And um, they're a really good option for small children who can't swallow pills or don't like to taste. Put it on like a bandaid. Just don't wear one at a movie theater. They, they have an aroma that's, that can be smelled from a ways away. Oh, really? That's what I thought. We have, we have a new formulation that uh, since you tried that for your run. Yeah, that was last so September. To get you the new ones, yes, they're much yeah. better. Oh, good. I mean, it wasn't bad. No, it's just aroma. like what does it smell like? Does it smell like weed? No, no, it would be good. No, it just was more like a um, a very strong aloe, not aloe, but um, like a menthol. Bengay. Yeah, menthol. Yeah. Menthol. Yeah. yeah. The new formula doesn't have that smell at all. It was worth it. I'm telling you, it was yeah, good. Yeah. I've had bodybuilders tell me that they put the patch on and they go to the gym and work out and they'll be doing their entire workout and it makes them feel like they have more strength. They don't want to stop. They just want to keep working out because it makes them feel so good. And really, that's going to be kind of the, the workaround is those non-ingestibles, right? So the, the topicals and tinctures and things that you're not allowed to sell because you're consuming them, these there are the, the other options that you can have, like a transdermal patch. Got to pivot I to don't Cirelli. think the tinctures are considered an edible, are they? They're an oil extraction. Yeah, but you take them orally. That's the thing. I believe it is an edible, whereas a topical, people are selling uh, topicals. Um, but really they're an edible. And, and so you can sell well, more than a hundred milligrams as a topical. And so people are eating this, uh, butter or whatever it is, uh, as an edible to, and so it's, there's a workaround, you know, if you have a 500 milligram topical and you could still eat it, but you're not selling it as an edible, well, what is it? It, it? That just, that just calls into question more and makes the regulation that happened in the past two weeks all the more suspicious. Oh, you can put the CBD in a packet outside the bottle. Oh, you can you can call this butter that's infused with CBD uh, a topical ointment. It's clearly made out of butter and CBD. It's a topical ointment. You know, it's just strange. Right. It is very strange, and it's just wrong. You need to have nerves of steel in order to to get through all of the the various laws and the changes. You would think after five years we would have this figured out, and it's not even close. They just keep on changing it. Got to stay flexible. Hopefully, we'll see a change real soon. I never know when to, you know, interrupt these amazing conversations we're having, but it's getting to be that time. 
Josh and Cecilia, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we follow you guys and find you on the internet? Nanasecret.com. Thank you so much for inviting me today. And then you can reach me at Josh at thetalkinghedge.com or check out the thetalkinghedgepodcast.com. Awesome. Great. Well, we're going to have a follow-up on Nana Secret within a few hours on CannabisIndustryLawyer.com. Once again, you can find me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. Uh, yep. We'll see you next Wednesday. Make sure you like and subscribe. Yeah, we have some great guests coming up, so you're going to want to tune into those. Truly. Mm -hmm. We will. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.